everybody. Welcome to the Good Share Podcast with Ryan and Ice. I'm Ryan. And I'm Ice. So, man, what you up to? Dude, uh, it's day three. What is it? Uh-huh. Is it today Wednesday? Today is Wednesday. So technically it's day two because they didn't have school on Monday because it was a holiday. But I'm going to call it day three of snow day because, you know, uh-huh. down here in Tennessee, they can't handle. Although it is pretty bad. I'm not going to make fun. of Like there's ice it all did over. Look, like, yeah, it did look like you got the, plenty the of The high yesterday was like 19 degrees. So nothing is stalling. But I have learned over the last year and a few months that if I don't have a balance of being on the road and being at home. I go really crazy and I get really, really cranky. Like if I'm if I'm out on the road for too long, then it sucks. Obviously, I want to come home. But if I'm home for too long, it's like, man, I feel like my life doesn't have a purpose, and I just really need to get out. Of, and it's not like, oh, we need to get out of the house. So I can just run to Kroger. No, it's like I need to get out and like do something, like be a productive person, like not just yeah. go to the gym, go lift, or go run, but like. Go do the thing that I do for a living. Right. And then, and that's, that's just when it's like when I'm home and everyone is at school and work, but then in a week, like this week when everyone is home, it's mm-hmm. like, I love my family, but I, mean, <laughs> I, need, I need a little space. Man, I'm in the same boat, <sighs> except I'm, I'm, I'm a slight, I'm a slightly the other direction a little bit is I found that I have learn to enjoy my solidarity uh even if i'm here but i think it's because like unlike you i am really into uh programming and i find a tremendous amount of enjoyment in causing myself the biggest headache possible Because programming literally is nothing but fixing problems. That's that's all programmers do. Yeah. Is you constantly troubleshoot why what you're trying to do isn't working. That sounds and, terrible. I mean, that's what I I'm know. doing with my everyday life. So <laughs> <laughs> trying to do it with a piece of machinery would be even worse. <laughs> so, you know what? I thought of an interesting topic. Um, that we could talk about. Okay. And I was thinking, uh, and it has a little bit to do with being home and also being out. And it's uh, how we kind of made m- playing music or being musicians um, <clears throat> a career, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Because it sustains you. It sustains me whenever I choose. And I think that's where things get a little different between you and I. Yeah. And and I think our a little bit of history or backstory on how you how how music came into to your life and became a player and how it entered mine and it became a playing piece in my life. Yeah. And then where we are now. And and also the current situation of the world, right? And how that's played a, a role, and how <clears throat> it compares or contrasts to how current young younger generation uh, adopt or or or, or um, what's the word I'm trying to say? How they become like like adapt to to what it's like. Uh, well. Yeah, 
Well, that's a good topic. Um, I mean, you yeah. want, you want to go? I don't think I know the entire story of like your musical upbringing. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I can go first. Okay. I'll, I'll keep it quite condensed. That way, we can not, you know, like a like a can of Campbell's. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll keep it like a can of Campbell's, baby. <laughs> so. When I first started playing music, it was a very young age, and it was um, my father was very, very much into a family band, being in a band. He just, I think he really, truly enjoyed, <clears throat> he enjoyed it a lot. He enjoyed all the aspects of, of what it is. But I think one of the biggest ones was he enjoyed being part of a group playing music. Okay. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also think he liked the whole thing of like whether or not he knew it he kind of managed his bands he was the guy <clears throat> booked the bands he's the guy he was the band lead but also the band manager and the band producer right he 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 had all them hats on right and that was a thing he really enjoyed but he um bestowed that to my brother and i right so <laughs> okay. He wanted us to be involved in that. And that was a way for him to do something with us, I think. Um, because before then, he was out a lot on the weekends. And, of course, he worked, you know, 9 to 6, 9 to 7 uh, in the evenings. And then he'd be gone on the weekend. So we didn't get to see him a whole lot. And I think he wanted that to change. So the way to do that was he decided – I remember this clearly. I even remember the house we were in when he decided he was quitting – the band that he was fairly successful with, they were booked a lot and they played a lot and people wanted them. And he just was like, I'm done. And I'm starting a band with my sons. It was that, it was just that dry and mm -hmm. it was, it was just done. Right. And Timmy and I, I, Tim was too young really to, to, I think comprehend what was going on. And I was very like, like, wow, that's uh that's something that because that's that's life changing for a eight year old. Right. Right. <clears throat> so he worked with us and then we started a family band. We played lots of square dances and um, lots of animal. We did the animal club circuit. Right. Right. Uh, Which if uh, anyone does, it, that's like the moose, the eagles, things like that. Yeah, yeah. When you guys used to talk about that, it took me forever to connect the dots that that's what you meant. <laughs> I used to be like, so, I don't know what animal clubs are. Like, right, what was that? What was that? <laughs> the, we call it the McVeigh Safari Tour. Yeah. They, are they playing at a zoo? I don't understand what they're doing. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's what happened there. And then that kind of rolled, snowballed into us uh, sort of outgrowing uh, around the 14, 15, 16 years old or so. We wound up uh, wanting to play with peers. Um, because <clears throat> before that we were playing with all, all adults. It was just, yeah. a, a, which was tough because most of the adults in our hometown did not want to play music with kids that just was not interested in it. It was kind of sort of a liability because you, at, at that time, the biggest booking thing, anything was animal clubs. I mean, that was it. So at first, a lot of the animal clubs refused to book us because we were underage. And so my mother actually did research and found that there was a law that as long as we were in the 
um, venue with our guardian, and we were no, we were not served, and we were not at the bar at any time. And any time we had to go, like to use the restroom, we had to be accompanied by a legal <laughs> aged adult, right? Yeah. So. <clears throat> and, and and there was child labor laws and all this stuff. And she did all the research on it and was able to influence uh, some particular clubs that, you know, there's nothing illegal happening here. You know, we're their parents and we're with them all the time. So we wound up playing. But before that, we couldn't get booked any of those. And those were like bread and butter gigs. Right, right. And the older musicians, number one, didn't want to be seen on stage with kids. Of course. Uh, number two, because we weren't good. I mean, we're, we, we were very bad. I mean, we were learning. Every, yeah. every job was a whole nother learning experience. <laughs> so they didn't want that to happen. And they didn't want to lose their job, their right. gigs. I right. mean, because basically, if you signed up and, and said, yeah, we'll go out and play with you guys and, you know, kind of help you get your start – uh, they they basically were saying we're good to not be playing every weekend because that, you're not going to play a hog roast or a family reunion every week <laughs> right, right. or even a square dance. But we did play often. Um, but we did have adults that did uh, play music with us and were not uh, ashamed or afraid of any of it. And um, uh, Bill Cole was one. Um uh Kevin Bates was another uh Jim Durbin um he's he's no longer with us neither is Bill Cole um and uh Bill Moody and Johnny Dotson and uh who else Lori Mullet I've only known one of these names so far <laughs> right I'm just naming them yeah. because uh these were the the people that were not afraid totally at at the time, and you know, it's the least I can do. <clears throat> of course, my dad, my uncle, and um, I think that pretty much nails it down. But I mean, that's literally like just a handful of people. Yeah, um, it's just enough to have a band, but have people back, you know, sort of some backups. Right. But um, did that, and then we wound up uh, playing music with some of our peers, and then. Uh, went out to Vegas and did shows out there uh, for about a week or so, competition thing, come back. Uh, the band kind of flew apart because the manager was um, a liar and a thief. <laughs> and Jim Bruce, you know who you are. And um, then there was uh, another uh, female singer by the name of Haley Watson out of Zanesville that we wound up playing for, uh, me, my brother, Joe Eric, and Mitch Stalling, uh, Jr., um, when I play music for her and then, um, we wound up getting another guy that could really sing, uh, his name was Dan Stancil and he was a pretty awesome dude, but then some stuff kind of got real, real ugly <clears throat> with, uh, our father and one of the other boys' fathers. Um, and the band just flew apart. I mean, it just was like, bang, it went off like a firework. I mean, it was really <laughs> <Yeah>. not good. <clears throat> and, uh, after that, uh, all of us kind of were never really comfortable, like talking to one another, except for Mitch. Mitch was pretty cool, but Mitch was neutral. Mitch yeah. was a bass player. That's what bass players are. They're always neutral. <laughs> right. Right. <clears throat> um, after that, I met you. Uh, at the uh, 
Battle of the Bands thing yeah. in Coshocton. And you like the Hornsby I spin in. And, <laughs> and then uh, we had at that time, I kind of got into recording because we went to Nashville with another band that was still the family band. Yeah. And we lost our butts down there at a studio. They, they wound up charging us way more than they actually were supposed to <clears throat> um, because I think people are, you know, they're just hungry. Yeah. Um, but this little place was just outside Nashville that's, out in that's Burns. back when studios could do that because people couldn't just do it at home. That's <laughs> exactly right. That's exactly right. You had no other means. Yeah. So, and, and actually saying that, yeah. uh, when we got back, I, I was so disgusted because my, my mom and dad had to wind up like putting stuff on credit cards to pay off this debt to this to this recording studio right in in uh burns um uh i think it is dixon dixon county okay in in tennessee neighboring county of yeah. uh davison so <clears throat> i think it's a neighboring county it might be one county over over it's um, close enough it's close enough yeah it's out 40 anyway so um when when that all happened, I was like just shocked, right? So, well, Dad, I want to learn how to record the stuff, you know. So he had a friend up in Canton that had like a bunch of old gear that wasn't being used anymore. One of them was an Atari, not an uh, Atari, but an Otari, Otari eight track, reel to reel. Yeah. Uh, Right. <clears throat> I think it's only half inch tape, so it wasn't yeah. like anything too crazy. And I think oh, I think two one or two of the tracks were no good. Like they Of course, they, yeah. They, they were they're polarized or I don't remember yeah. but they didn't work. And um an old uh sixteen by eight Alan Heath uh recording console. Or not recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, 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 why not? <laughs> and uh everything was dirty on it. Every single thing. Like <laughs> You move a fa- you move a fader up and down. It was you. Oh yeah. So, so it was one of these consoles where you had to record your music and then you worked for hour hours on a mix and turned everything you need to turn. And then when you're like, okay, I think it's there, and you listen to it over and over and make sure you don't have whatever tweaks. And they okay. And then you get the DAT machine going, <laughs> and then you. Send it off to that. Don't touch anything. Nobody breathe on it, you know, because it could make any kind of right. noise. And you hope to God that the damn reel to reel didn't catch something, yeah. <laughs> catch something in the head. And then yeah. you hear a scraping noise yeah. or or a hiccup or oh my god, or the power go out. Oh yeah. geez. <clears throat> anyway, so all that, and uh, I learned how to like hook up all that stuff myself because. We were going to have somebody come help us, and he said he would, but he never showed up. And I was just sick of waiting, yeah. so I was like, I'll figure it out. And it took me a few days, but I figured out how to wire everything up. And I was probably, I'd say maybe 17, 18 at that time. Okay. Probably about 17, 18 years old, somewhere. Well, no, 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 no. I was much younger because this was before Joe Eric, uh, Joe and uh, Mitch and all that. So this oh, really? was when okay. I was, yeah. So I wasn't able to drive yet. Okay. I was like 15, 14 or 15 years old. But um, so then anyway, that happened. Wound up moving to Nashville, got down there. Um, uh, you were in uh, Philly. Yeah. And uh, I was working just weird, like little gigs for people at film companies 
because I was into that. And then I would do some studio stuff for Rob Royer off yeah. of the row. And then I would go do some web stuff for somebody else. Just, right. you know, stuff here and there. And then I remember talking to you and you're like, uh, how's it, how is the climate down there pretty much? And I'm like, well, it's, it's pretty cool. There's a lot going on. And then I talked to you and, or I don't know if I talked to you and I suggested that you quit school and move to Nashville and I would help you find work or get to work or something. And you could live with me until, you know, whenever that happened. And, uh, then that pretty much is what happened there. But that is as condensed as I can make it. Ah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So I only took what, seven minutes? I, I was watching a timer. I think it took seven minutes. <laughs> I felt way longer. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, I'll see if I can uh, keep mine as condensed as yours. Uh, I grew up loving music. My mom sings, plays piano. She did both of those in church a lot from, you know, as early as I can remember. Um, I always kind of had an attraction to the drums, but I didn't really take it serious until sixth grade when they had like band auditions for sixth grade band. And I remember thinking at the time I was like way more into sports and things Mm -hmm. like that. And I remember thinking like, I don't know if I want to do band, not necessarily because I thought it was like nerdy or geeky, but like, I just didn't know that's something I wanted to like devote time to. But I went down and, you know, in sixth grade, like, they're assuming nobody plays anything. So they like the band director has all the instruments out and you can try whatever you want. Well, I had no interest in trying anything but drums. So that's what I did. And then, and it turned out that some of my other friends were going to do it. So I was like, Oh, well then, you know, it'll be fun if I get to, if I'm doing it and I'm hanging out with them more. Mm -hmm. And then probably like a month into like just playing snare drum and like learning rudiments and learning how to read music and things like that. Uh, I really felt like, oh, this is like what I'm supposed to be doing. Or or maybe hmm. not maybe not even uh what I'm supposed to be doing, but it it became like I can't not do this. And I, huh. I, I really wanted to do it for a living. And even today I kind of feel like this, like if even if I didn't do it for a living, I would still have to play drums. Like, even if it's just to, to play to a record or whatever, like, it's, it's just a thing. Yeah, what? That's what, I mean, it's it's just, it's strange because I don't, I cannot, I, I have, like, I, I've i heard similar things, yeah. like, of that. But you didn't like have saying, that experience. I didn't have that experience. Like, that was not something, like, I can't relate to that feeling of, like, there was, a, like, a, like, a calling or a connection. Like, it was more like, for me, it was more like... Here it is. Try it out. But my my father was so into it. It was like, here, try this out. Oh, by the way, there's nothing else to do. Let's keep doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Like this is this is the thing I really want you to do. So I, ho- I hope yeah. you're enjoying it. Right. Well, yeah. I guess it could have been that or hunting, and I was totally <laughs> yeah. like, nah. I do not like hunting. I right. don't like anything with it. But I don't like anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So, so you had this, I I don't know what you want to call it. Like, uh, you know, just some sort of, it's like, Like, would you similar to in like an epiphany maybe? Yeah. Eureka moment. (laughs) Kind of like if I want to get real like sappy about it, like Mm -hmm. 
it's like a a thing you didn't know was missing from your life. Okay. And then you and then you find that thing, and now it's like all of a sudden, if I don't have that, a big piece of me is going to be missing. But I didn't wow. know that it was missing before that. Do you know what I wow, mean? That's that's weird, man. I mean, that's that's how it felt. And I, okay, and. I would say by seventh grade, I was pretty dead set on like, I'm going to figure out how to do this for the rest of my life and make a living. Wow. Holy crap. Yeah. Um, That's pretty and, awesome. And, and like, as, as much as you want to take credit for moving me to Nashville, you can take a little credit. But <laughs> But that was actually a plan for me. Probably from about that time, from like seven thirty, because so I was very fortunate that like the church I grew up in, which I I do not like churches like this at all anymore. But the church I grew up in was like very into like oh let's be modern and let's try and be like a big super church and have like a praise band and all this stuff. Uh-huh. At the time, it was great because it was another opportunity for me to play. And the music minister at the church at the time, Barry Hardesty, what's up? Who's now the band director at my old high school, but he was, Mm -hmm. he was the music minister at church. Super cool. Like he exposed me to a lot of records that I don't know if I would have been hip to so early on in my life. And he had total faith in me that this like 13 year old kid who, I mean, I had only been playing snare drum in sixth grade band. I mean, I would dabble on the drum set at church, but I didn't have one. I didn't get one till the summer before till my birthday which was the summer before seventh grade. But he had total faith in me to like, I could just do it. And he just, he like, I remember him giving me like a couple lessons of like, mm-hmm. well, here's some of the, the worship songs we're going to do on Sunday. Play, play something that feels kind of like this and like maybe play a fill like this. And <laughs> and I remember like, you know, he showed me like two fills or something in a couple beats and I just played them all the time. You know, like, because it's a, when you when you're that young, like you're not very good, but uh-huh. but you'll like hyper focus on these things of like, well, this is what so and so wants me to play for this, so I'm gonna like own them. You know what I mean? Like I'm gonna right. play them with such conviction because I can't I can't just think off the top of my head and play whatever I want. <laughs> N- not yet, you know. Sure. So anyway, so so but the Nashville tie-in is that through church there was this couple there, John and Julie Turnbull. Another shout oh, yeah. out. Yep. They had, they were like at the time, this was like 97 and like the whole like kind of acoustic electric singer songwriter duo thing was like really popular. Right. They yep. had just made a record, not in Nashville, but with a bunch of Nashville people. And they were, they wanted to play some live shows like in and around Coshocton in Ohio and whatever. Mm-hmm. And because of me playing in church, they asked me to play. Now, these are like adults. I mean, at the time, they were probably in their mid or late 20s. But right. they're, they're like 10 to 15 years older than I am. Yeah. And then the guitar player was in his 40s. And the bass player was probably in his 30s. And I remember thinking, like, I'm like 13, 14 years old and I'm playing with these adults. So it was like a similar situation to you. <laughs> right. And I, I, you know, I remember them giving me the record on cassette and being like, yeah, just learn these 12 songs. And I, <laughs> cassette. I, yeah. And I just, I was like, oh man, I, I'm in like way over my head. But it was one of those <laughs> things where I would like play along to that record every day until I learned, like, I could not go off of what was on the record at all. 
but it was like, if we played these songs, just like the record, I could play, you know what I mean? Like some of those things, Rick May was the drummer on that record. Great player. Um, some of those things are still ingrained in me. Like I bet if I sat down right now and put that record on, I could play some of the fills like note for note still. Cause I just, I sh- would shed on them so much then. So anyway, all through junior high and high school, I did every musical thing that I could. So I did like marching band, concert band, jazz band, pep band, did like solo and ensemble competitions. I was in junior high choir because they take anybody. You don't have to audition. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I, then for like, I think my freshman and sophomore years of high school, I played drums for the show choir. I didn't sing, but I played drums. So I was like doing as much as I could. And I was, it was so ingrained to me that like, Oh, well after this and you'll go to school for music and you'll get a degree and like whatever. Mm hmm. And I tried that for a year, and the only good thing about going to Capital University was that that's where I met my wife. Uh, oh, so yeah. that that was good, but it was a horrible, miserable experience. Besides that, like <laughs> it just wasn't a great fit program wise. Like it, they really wanted you to be like a well rounded percussionist that could like go play like a Broadway show or something. And as much as I love listening to like four mallet marimba players and stuff, I do. It's like a beautiful instrument and I have mad respect for people that can play it. Well, I have no interest in doing that myself. Right. It was never something I wanted to do. Um, so I went there for a year. It was terrible. I moved back home and that's, I mean, I guess I had met you guys, met you and your brother the summer before I went to Capitol at that Battle of the Bands. Yeah. Yeah, because you said you were – it was like in between band changeovers and you were spinning Bruce Hornsby because you were like the sound guy for the the show. Yep. And I just yep. remember as soon as I heard it come on, I like kind of stood up from setting up my gear and just out, <laughs> out loud – I mean I knew who it was, but at the time I, had, <laughs> I hadn't met anyone in Coshocton that like really knew who Bruce Hornsby was outside of like that's just the way it is. You, right. know, you know what I mean? Like, right, right. Uh, and I think it was, and you were it like, was spider you were fingers like, uh, that was playing. And I just stood up it, and I was it, like, I went, is this Bruce Hornsby? Yeah. And you, you said it like, did you, did you, does everyone know that this yeah, is Bruce exa- Hornsby? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you guys know this is Bruce Hornsby, right? <laughs> thought, I thought I was in like an altered is this, universe. Is, is this a mistake? Somebody, <laughs> yeah. somebody let something play too long? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but you were on stage like running cable or something. You were like, yeah, man. And that was like how we met. Yeah. And yeah. I think after I played that show, you and your brother came up to me and just yeah. said, Hey, we really like the way you play. We have this band. Let's jam sometime. Yeah. And I think like a couple of months went by and then like in August, like right before I had to leave for school, we jammed at your studio. And I remember talking to you on the phone and, and you told me where it was. And I was like, oh, yeah, this guy has a studio. OK, like, it's, you know, it's just going to be like a garage with some blankets and And whatever. some microphones <laughs> and some really bad stands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got like a like a boom stand that just keeps falling. And, and yeah, and a powered head with <laughs> yeah, two speakers. Yeah. And one of them, one of them doesn't work. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I got out there and I see this three-car garage and I'm like, oh, OK. And then I walk in and it's like this totally... At that point in my life, it was the most legit, I think probably anyway, the most legit recording studio I had been in. Like, 
It was like I'm so a, sorry. <laughs> yeah, but you say that, but like, dude, you don't know what you had at like. I mean, no. you you know now, but I don't know if you knew yeah. at the time. Like, I mean, you're 15, 16 years old, you have yeah. that in your backyard. Uh, like, it was incredible. Yeah. <clears throat> It was it was it was uh quite the arm twisting we had to give our dad to let us convert that garage. Well, actually, what happened was it was three car garage, big garage. Yeah. You know exactly. Oh, it's huge. It, yeah, yeah, it's huge. I so, wish I had that in my backyard right now because I would put the studio <laughs> in. It. it was like nine and a half foot ceilings, and um uh because it was, it was built for it was built for um uh not just a garage to put your car in but my grandfather built that garage <clears throat> to also work on vehicles so it had like gotcha. extra space in the in, in the back <clears throat> so you yeah. could have l- lines of toolboxes and whatnot okay. you know so uh when when my dad said we could build a studio in the th- in the garage uh that was all I needed to hear. And so he went to work one day and my uncle, which at the time owned a construction company, he come down uh, to give me a hand and help me lay out walls. And by the time we were, by the time my dad got off work and got home, the walls were done. And we took the entire garage and my dad was like, I didn't say you could have the entire garage. <laughs> well, he you, thought we were going to take like a bay. Right. Well, you, and you I was like, that's not, good. that's not big enough. You left him a little bit of room in the front. I mean, you can still get the garage yeah. doors up. Yeah. You could pull like half a, a car t- in, half, maybe half a car in. I mean, what, what more could you want? Anyway, so, and I, you know, what's funny is I remember at the time this shows you how. I, how like little I had developed as a musician at that point in my life. I was 18. I remember playing with you guys and thinking, well, first of all, you, it was a different world. I didn't grow up playing country music and I don't think right. you guys probably grew up like listening to the records that I was listening to, you know, like a lot of like hard rock bands and stuff and like being in, being in like original bands with, with kids from school or whatever. Like it was just a different, different thing. Totally different. But I remember one of the things that really struck me at the time was your guitar playing. And I remember thinking like, this guy, his, like he plays so fast and like, it, you're, like your tone was like really clean. It wasn't like disguised by like a bunch of distortion or whatever. You could kind of like fudge how fast you're playing. It was like you had to really like play every note. And that's like a chicken picking country thing. And I hadn't played with any guitar player like that. You know, (laughs) like my best friend at the time, he was like really into like rock and metal. So he was like coming more from a shredder standpoint. Right. And Tom was good. Tom, Tom Tom's, Tom's a great guitar player, but it was just a different thing. And I just remember thinking like, wow, I was like, like, that was like the one thing that stuck with me. He's like, this dude is so fast, (laughs) you know? And just also that, like, you know, like, you're calling all these songs, you guys are singing all these harmonies and stuff, and it was like, I had been in bands, well, I mean, I played with John and Julie, I had been in a band with Tom, I had done Liquid Earth, which is funny, because we recorded on an eight-track half-inch reel-to-reel my first time, but we did it in Tim Ross's living room. Oh, that's right. And we had to, like, we could only do, like, 
we only had four microphones or something, none of which were any. I think the SM57 was like the best mic we had. I remember coming over to his place with you that to was, help out on something. That was the second time when I wasn't in the band anymore. Oh, But that's they asked right. me to play drums on the record because I think the drummer that they had couldn't do it or something. Yeah. And we borrowed, they borrowed gear from you because then you did, you, right. you mixed that. It was like a four song EP. Yeah, I did. But this was like in high school. I hadn't met you yet. And we did a record on an eight track reel to reel. And it was wow. the same place. It was in Tim's house. Uh-huh. But dude, get this. Our overhead mic stand. Uh-huh. Remember that old hardware case I had that were yeah. like with the wheels on the bottom that would always tip over and the buckles always broke. The buckles always broke. <laughs> we didn't have. We had two short mic stands, <laughs> so we threw a fifty-eight in the kick drum because we didn't have a kick mic. Right. We my headphones are all tangled up. We, <laughs> we we put a fifty-seven between like the rack tom, snare drum, and hi hat. Uh-huh. We had like some cheap, like Radio Shack kind of vocal mic between the two floor toms. Yeah, because you didn't have enough for each tom. Right. So it had to share. We only had, we only had four mics. <clears throat> and then the overhead was we just put my. Oh, overhead. <laughs> the overhead. Oh, it's and here's the best part. It's not even overhead because we don't have a tall mic stand. <laughs> we took my hardware case, put it out, put it out in front of the kit, probably about six or eight feet, probably six feet and took the, the handle on top and we had like another 58 or something. Maybe, maybe we had two fifty sevens. I don't remember. And like put it under the handle so that it would come down and hold it. So the mic is just like five, five feet in the air pointed at the kit, like six feet away. That's, that was our overhead. That's see, you had like a legit studio in your, in your house. And that's how we've recorded our, EP, our, the, the first record. And you know what? You can tell too, cause it sounds terrible. And we had, we, we did like four, four tracks of drums. So you have four tracks open, but we bounced them to, to stereo to like one and two or however it was seven and eight. So we could record everything else. Right. So we had to hope oh. we had to hope that like the the stereo mix of drums was how we wanted it. Yeah, because that was it. Because you it's like, well, I want more snare drum. Too bad. Like too bad. That's where it is. So, it's been printed. Yeah. <laughs> we we could give you more left or right, but that's it. And it's not even <laughs> it's not even left or right because yeah. it's just mono. <laughs> but uh anyway, so that was like my recording experience up until I met you. So I, d- I did a year at Capitol. It was terrible. Moved back home. Ended up playing with you guys all the time. It was, it was super educational uh, as far as like up to that point, I had really learned a lot as far as like technique. And like I was a good I was a good player, but I wasn't a good like social player. Like I, I don't think I had played mm. enough in real world situations with other people. Yes, that was definitely something that was noticeable when we first started, like, just you and I. Because after Capital, you took a year off, right? Was it a year? Yeah, I was home. I was off at least. Yeah, I was home for a year. And then you played music with us. But before we got, like, hot and heavy with gigs into, I think it was closer to the uh, fall yeah. Well, no, we played like we played a bunch it was, I guess that it summer. In July, August, yeah, yeah, was real. We got it was pretty heavy. It was like every weekend, yeah. Uh, and then into the winter months, we played <clears throat> uh, the dollar, and 
which was a rough freaking yeah, club. Yeah, but man, you yeah, I mean, it says everything about it when before us there was a mother daughter strip team. <laughs> strip team. That's 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 how you. I mean that that tells you what kind of place we were playing. Yeah, if but, you weren't uh, into the mother, there was one right behind her. Yeah. Looked a lot like her. <laughs> Either way, you were going to the same home with them. <laughs> oh, uh, talk about keeping it in the family. Jeez. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So then there was that place. So, but, but like gigs like that are really, uh, they're they're good. Like, oh yeah, people need to have gigs like that. Oh yeah. So those all, are very deep learning. Yeah. Going well, on right because there. we so we started doing that gig with the four of us, Timmy singing. But like, what? After two weekends, Timmy got mono and he was out for like, yeah, two months. Yeah. So you and Jimmy, and he was covering ninety five percent of yeah. the material. So you and Jimmy had to like split fronting the band, and I'll never forget like. I, the first weekend we did without Timmy, I remember thinking, well, even even when Timmy was there, that was like the first time we had done like, oh yeah, that long of a gig where it was, it was like three like, and a half hours or four. Right? I think it was four forty five minute four? shifts. Oh, it was okay. like forty five on, fifteen off from like ten to two. Right, and before that, we were doing like a lot of the festivals and stuff. Do like two like hours set or something. Yeah, hours. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, okay, well, I know like these songs we do in a set that's that long but i remember thinking like man we're gonna have to play two more hours i don't and, and you guys didn't seem worried about it at all and i don't know if i showed it but inside i was like I've, no I, I had no, no idea I have no idea like they're just gonna start calling songs that i don't know i dude you play you're play- <clears throat> <clears throat> that's the one thing i say about you that it irritated me sometimes is that you would be so nonchalant and so like, like playing it cool that it would tick me off because I'm like, is, is this like really seriously not a big deal? Like, <laughs> oh, dude, it's inside. I was having a meltdown. There was only one. There was only one time I remember losing my cool on stage and you, you came and you gave me the what for afterwards. What was and it, and it was like a big, it was like a big deal. Like, I, I mean, the fact that I still remember it shows you how much it shaped me. We were playing at Rachel Longerburgers for one of the Longerburger Bees. We were on the outside stage, outdoor stage. We And it was like we were doing like a three, it was like we were doing a Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday or something. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And I think right. it was the first day, the first show, and we had been doing a bunch of gigs with just the four of us, but I think Joe was going to come and play keys with us. Yep. And so you guys were calling a bunch of songs that you used to do with him that I didn't know. And there was, <coughs> there was one in particular that like, it had, it had some weird ending. And, oh my and, God. And the ending, it was the, the ending uh, Toby was, Keith song. I don't know if it was that one. <laughs> okay. It was a different, that was at, that was at silver dollar where that I, I, I missed that ending, but the, I don't remember what song it was probably something real standard that if I was to play it today, it'd be real easy. And I would read your body language and know exactly how we're going to end it. But at the time I didn't have any experience doing that. And and also like late nineties, early two thousands, country music was throwing in these kind of oddball, like four bar things. And also like these weird counted out outros uh, that would just like this be this vocal thing. And it seemed like it was very ad libby (laughs) when the band would like do their hits. Right. Um, And if you didn't hear that stuff, 
yeah. or listen to it regularly, you had no idea. It was it's just, so left, it's, yeah, left-footed. Yeah. yeah. So I, I wish I could remember what it was. But anyway, <clears throat> the ending came up, and it just like... I'm trying to read what you're like, you know, you're trying to play guitar and also like communicate to me. And right. it was just like this big, like, blah, blah, blah. and, <laughs> and I think I felt, I don't, I don't know if I was reading the stage correctly or not, but inside I, I knew that I had messed up and I felt like everyone's eyes were on me. Like, how can, mm. like, how can what, you not know how to, an idiot? Yeah. I how do you not know what that is? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And, and I, for, and it was like the last song of the set or something. And I think I just said, like, I remember kind of standing up and be like, well, maybe if we just rehearse once in a while oh. or something. So, and I didn't say it like super loud, no, but it but was loud enough for everybody. Really it was like loud enough for everybody here. And I, and I kind of just like, you know, that house music started playing. And I walked off stage and I was sitting at a table or whatever. And, you came over and you were like, okay, I understand your frustration, but you can't lose your cool like that on stage. And you said something to the effect of like, we're all just up there having fun. Like no one was really that upset. Like we didn't expect you to really know how it ended. You'd never played the song before. Huh? So. Wow. That's a. Fairly diplomatic of me, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, you were you were a little upset, and I felt and I apologize because I felt bad for doing it. But like in the in the moment, I like I just felt like I looked like an idiot, and everyone on stage and everyone out there listening knows how this song ends except for me. And it's like, well, how does this dumbass not know how this song goes? You know what I mean? Like yeah, that, right. but that's going like so fast through your mind. So then you just yeah. go, well, rehearse. I would know how it goes. You know, like. <laughs> Which is so dumb because we we hardly ever rehearsed, and yeah, in right. since my time living in Nashville, you know how many official rehearsals I've had for gigs? Like five. Yeah, I was gonna say not. not I've many. lived here for thirteen years, fourteen yeah. years. Like right. it just isn't a thing. But right. that that was that was like educational on two points. A, you cannot. You can't do that on stage. If you want to have words like that when you walk off stage and vent your frustration, fine. Can't do it on stage in front of people. Right. Right. Because that only makes the situation worse. Yeah. Most people out there probably didn't even know that we messed up the ending. And if they thought it probably was perfect, like we wrote it. Yeah. And and it wasn't until someone on stage acknowledges. Yeah. Yeah. That they're unhappy with something. And then people are like, oh, he's mad about something. I wonder what happened. You know, then, it's, yeah. then it becomes a scene. And and then the other thing it taught me is, man, you should take playing music seriously. But like have fun doing it mm. like just, you know, like I think now I would be able to I would laugh it off. You know, <laughs> right, I, I would like, right. and then if someone came at me with like, I would just say, well, Hey man, I've never played it before. You know, I wouldn't be like, well, F you, I've never played it before. I'll just be like, <laughs> I would just be like, well, sorry. I've never, I've never played it before. I couldn't, I didn't understand what you were trying to tell me. Like that's mm-hmm. the best I can musically interpret on the fly. What you're saying with your eyeballs to me. Right. Right. You know? <clears throat> and so, you know, the thing is like you, you take, and rewind that, right? And you take uh, and place me like 
it would have been probably six years before, right? And put the six year before me on stage with you then, we both would have had a hissy fit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, because you like, would you would have just lost it right there on me. Yes. Instead of and then you would have been taking five off. minutes. Yeah, yeah. And been we like, probably never would have just got a rehearsal <laughs> together, McVeigh. <laughs> yeah. And we and we never would have played music together again. Yeah, right. And never yeah. would have <laughs> so anyway. But yeah, we we so all I have to say, we played a bunch that summer. It was great. We played all kinds of different gigs, played into the winter. Uh, yeah, played Silver Dollar where we added like two hours of not knowing what songs were. And that li- that that's what that story led me to is I think I was able to handle that. I was still having a meltdown inside mm-hmm. about like I got I to gotta know 90 minutes worth of songs I've never played. I just got to be able to do, uh, figure out what these guys are doing, you know, while looking right. at their backs. Like, uh, but I think I handled it a little better. Because it was just one of those things where you'd turn around and be like, okay, you've never played this, but it goes like this. This is kind of the feel. Here's the tempo. It starts like this. Oh, it's got this weird thing in the bridge. And then it ends like this. And And because of Timmy getting mono, uh, that it was, we we were three piecing it. Yeah. Yeah. For like what? Four, four weeks or it was like a month or a month and a half. It was. Yeah. And so that led me to building a talkback mic for the first time. It was that the first time, right? Pretty much, yeah. Well, because you had an open channel because Timmy yeah, wasn't I don't there. Remember, uh, yeah, I don't ever remember doing it before mm-hmm. then. No. <clears throat> but Which yeah. was super convenient. Yeah. So it would just be one of those things where you would say that, you know, it would take you 10 seconds to say all that, and I have to, okay, this three and a half minute song, and then you just play it. Well, now that I live here and I play on Broadway, that kind of stuff happens all the time. Right. So that was like a great lesson in, man, like, you know, one of the people I play with, one of the things she tells me down there is like, the reason I like to have you on these gigs is when someone brings a 20 up to tip us and they request a song and the other three people on stage know it, but I don't, me, not her. Mm-hmm. I'll just say, yeah, I've never heard it. Let's play it. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I ask somebody to tell me that 10 seconds worth of information that you would have told me. Sometimes you don't even get that, but it's like, I'm not going to say I don't know it. Let's not play it because that's 20 bucks that we could be making. Yes. And that person isn't a, they're not going to know if it's just like the record or not. Like 90% of the time people down there, like they just want to hear the chorus of the song because that's their favorite part. So if we biff like, Oh, there's a two, four bridge, (laughs) two, four bridge going into the, or a two, four bar going into the bridge and I missed it. Or there's a diamond that I played through or something. They don't even know. They don't know. As long as they we start know. together and end together, that's it. You're golden. So and you, know, the thing I liked about doing that part uh, because that happened a, happened a lot with going to jams and yeah, and you know at a young age is you just learn that improvisation is all part of being in a band. Yeah, and the thing I really enjoyed about like getting in with bands that uh, maybe one other guy sort of knows the song and then. Uh, and maybe usually it's like maybe the bass player will know the song or and then another guy will be like, yeah, yeah, I remember. And then I'm <laughs> clueless. Right. Right. <clears throat> the, the part that I really like about that is now I give I'm given the opportunity to make my part. Right. Because n- everyone <laughs> is under the assumption 
I have no idea how this thing goes. So whatever you play, as long as it's in the same key and tempo and time with us, yeah, yeah. go for it, dude. Yeah. <clears throat> so I have the freedom to then put what I believe is yeah. this is how this song, I interpret it. And this is how I would play it if I were actually recording the thing. And uh, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Um there's very few times where I'll get into this, but you know what I'm talking about yeah. when I say you, you get into uh, this one thing. And no matter how many different things that you try, none of them quite seem to fit. Yeah. <laughs> right. Just don't. Right. It's like a square peg in a round hole. Thing. Yeah. 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 So very cool. But that was all that was really educational. But then I, I went to school. I did two years in Philly and I think I went my first year in Philly was your first year in Nashville. Yep. And we stayed in touch a bunch and I had a great experience in Philly. It was like the only reason I really didn't go for the next two years is I couldn't afford it. Like even with some scholarships. Yeah, I remember and stuff, you like, saying it was going to be super It was too expensive. expensive. And I, it's hard for me to justify coming out of school with like an 80 or a hundred thousand dollar debt and then trying to go play mm. gigs for a living. Oh my like, gosh. Right. You know, it's like hard enough. To, to try and find work as a musician, but when you have that kind of debt looming over your head, like, yeah, I mean, what else are you going to do with that? What, I mean, what's the, what's the, you, you have to get a day job to pay your mm -hmm. bills, but then your day job keeps you from going out and finding the work you want to do. Yeah. So it's like, well, then why did you even get a degree in music? Cause you're not going to do anything with it. Right. Like, unless you want to teach <clears throat> mm -hmm. or, or, you know, Maybe like if you're like a legit player, like you want to play in a symphony or something like that. But it's hard for me if you want to be a performer in like the pop world. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to tell people now to go to school because it's too expensive. Yeah, my, I would never suggest it. My suggestion is like, man, find like a private teacher that you like studying with. And if you're a drummer, I I wish I would have taken this more seriously but if you're a drummer like find a good private teacher you like but then also find a piano player or a piano teacher mm. because as a drummer i don't think you're not really exposed to the other parts of music theory that other instruments are like you you deal with rhythm a lot but like if you're a guitar player or a bass player or a keyboard player or whatever like you deal with rhythm but then you also deal with melody and harmony and so you learn things you, you learn like your musical knowledge becomes a, a bit more uh, developed. Yeah. You know, and like piano, I guess is good because it, for me anyway, it's like easy to visualize music theory concepts, you know, mm. like in like a tactile way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, like if you do those two things, that's what paying for piano lessons and drum lessons is way cheaper than, Oh my God. You know? And I mean, like I learned really valuable stuff at school, but I remember after my second year, just thinking like, man, I can't, you know, I can't keep taking out $20,000 loan every year that I'm going to, right. that I have to pay back. And I, that's when I started really, I mean, we had been in touch still, but I remember really feeling you out of like, man, what's Nashville like? And, and all this stuff. And one of the things I always laugh about, hey, puppy. Yeah. Yeah. One, with me. one of the things I always laugh about is had I gone back, some of my other classes I was going to take were like recording 101 
and like the science of acoustics and things like that. Oh. And that would have been super cool. But you know what? I learned all that and way more by moving here because that first year you were working at the tracking room and I came and helped you all the time as a gopher. And I can remember spending long nights, just the two of us going like, Oh, well this room is built like this, which is why it sounds like this (laughs) or like, Oh, like they have their patch bay wired like this or or whatever. It was like all these things that I'm learning in the real world. Right. You know? And it's like all, you know, like no, no university can ever have a studio that's on the level of like an ocean way or a tracking room or something where you can like learn like, yeah, they, they might have a small recording studio, but it's not the same as like, Oh man, you have a session tomorrow with it, with an orchestra and a rhythm section. Oh, and you have to drop all the headphone boxes and lines and you've got to oh wire, you've got to right? patch everything in before the session starts tomorrow. Like, I don't think I ever did this, but how many times did you sleep there overnight on one of the big, Gobos. Oh my gosh, a lot, a lot. I slept there quite a few nights. Yeah, yeah. waiting on waiting on cartage. Yeah, either to come or, or well to come and go and pick up their crap or to, to come and drop, drop off the it crap. Off. Yeah. yeah. So, like, that's that's my musical upbringing story. You know, the interesting <laughs> thing about that whole deal is how we approach that. And then you talking about like finding yourself a good uh, 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 teacher or, um, you know, that you either <clears throat> you have to respect their ability. Right. Yeah. Because without that, you're not going to learn anything. Well, and, and I think it helped if you find a teacher that is doing what you want to do. Like, yeah, not I mean, yes, I'm not talking about like your local small town drum teacher i mean not saying that they they're not good or they don't know their stuff but at a certain point you need to go seek out players that you respect and admire and uh want to be like yeah because if they teach then great you know or if they don't teach they they can at least direct you to the people that they learn from like the the greatest players in the world don't ever stop learning on the instrument on whatever they do. They don't ever go like, well, I know everything now. Right. You can't, you know, like the guys I all like are always talking about the guys they like that they're learning from, Mm -hmm. you know, if the other thing is, if you like what you said, if you find somebody that is doing what you want to do, but they're not teaching and you're having maybe a difficult time finding uh, someone, uh, you know, find somebody that can teach you go play music with that person. Like, yeah, hang out and just be around them. Uh, don't drive them crazy, but um, because you're going to be given opportunity to play or whatever. And, and there's going to be things shared and you're going to see like techniques used and pick that stuff up. Yeah, and there'll probably um, be stuff at first where you're like, I don't understand what they're talking about. Yeah. But but I I think my biggest piece of advice, because I've met people that don't do this, and it, and it bugs me, and they can't mm-hmm. figure out why, like, why they annoy people. When you're in a position to go see someone, like, to, to go sit in on a session, to just shadow somebody for a day. 
shut your mouth. Yeah. Like, don't make your, like, you're not even there. No one should know that you're there. Don't get in the yeah. way. Right. Keep your ears really open mm-hmm. and your eyes. But, like, there's nothing you can do that day to, like, to, like, show how good you are. Like, nobody cares. No, yeah, it's no not, one. It's no, not about you. What are you going to do in 30 seconds? Like, if I sit, like, let's say Shannon Force is a huge uh, in, inspiration of mine, right? I love that mm-hmm. guy's playing. He's a big time player here. Um, if I went and shadowed him on a session, or, or not even, like, let's say I'm just on a session that he, that he is at, right? Like, that happened a few times at the tracking room where I, I like, he would be there and I would just be gophering. I never went up and introduced myself. I never tried to tell him, oh, I play drums too. I never was like, yeah, check out this thing that I can do. And like, what am I going to do in 30 seconds on his kit? That's going to like, uh, like justify the years I've spent. You know, like he, I've already rubbed him the wrong way by doing that. So he's going to be half listening. And, and second of all, he doesn't care. Like he's there to get a job done. So I can't, I can't show you everything I've learned in my entire life in 30 seconds that where you're going to go, oh man, well, you're the next guy. I'm going to call you when I need a sub. Like it doesn't happen. Like some of the greatest lessons I learned were watching those guys do sessions in that studio just by sitting in the control room and keeping my mouth shut. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, for like sure. just watching and listening how they went about their business and you know, someone would come in like if it was like a who was that acoustic like Bobby Terry or somebody. Mm. Someone would come in and be like, "Oh man, that bar, that second bar right there in the bridge, I got to fix that." And you'd be like, "This already sounds like a mastered record," but <laughs> right? but they're you know they're hearing something, and so then it's like, "Okay, well what what are they hearing?" And then you pay attention to when they do the next take, and you're like, "Oh, well they they didn't do that, or they did yeah. this, right?" You know, like. It makes such a huge difference. I, I think yeah. it, as a musician, you should never lose that willingness to be open and learn something, you know? No, I, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, so <clears throat> we have reached the end of this episode, but I think where we can pick up on the next one is talking about the contrast between what we, how we did things especially with recording and being in the same room together in the early 2000s. Yes, yes. And where we are now it's with far, yeah. recording yeah. music. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah, I like so, that. So until until then, I got to take this puppy, this puppy right here that won't stop making all kinds of racket. I got to take her outside. Good share. Thanks for listening to the Good Share Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or just enjoyed the podcast in general, give us uh, five stars or thumbs up or whatever it is that you can do through the apparatus that you're using. If you happen to be watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button, subscribe, and ring that bell. Uh, You can also find more content and more about the podcast at www.goodsharepodcast.com.